turn together now to the prophecy of Isaiah and to chapter 32. And we're going to read at the beginning of the chapter. Isaiah 32 and at verse 1. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule in justice. Each one or a man will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land, and so on. Now I'm sure as we enter into a new year that we all agree that we would like to make things better. We would like to change ourselves to be better. We would like to live in a better world. And perhaps we should also say we would like to live in a better church in the world. We are looking to be better than we were before. And when we read this prophecy, we see that there were those who lived in the days of Isaiah. And their policy seemed to be one of forgetting about God. They were God-forgetters. And because they were forgetting God, they continued on a course of associating with other nations, of associating with other gods, and turning their back on the only true and living God. And in some small or some great way, I'm sure that all of us are at some time guilty of forgetting about God. And when we look at the world in which we live, the society around us, that's what we see. We see a world, a society that is forgetting about God and that is taking on other gods and other God replacements. And as was the case in the days of Isaiah, it is often true that we don't realize that we are forgetting God unless God himself makes that known. And that's what the prophecy is about. There are these dark things happening and into the darkness God speaks. And around this chapter, in the previous chapters at least, there is great darkness, there is great chaos. And here, into the centre of that, God wants to make known that he is going to change things, change them for the better and align them with what he wants and what he has for the world. And so we enter into this chapter and, and there is that sense of behold this is what you're like but this is what I'm going to do. And tonight I want us to look at these two verses against that background and as we look forward into this year to ask ourselves what are we looking for in 2017? I want to suggest first of all that we are looking at God's plans. Our own plans simply are not working. We are looking at God's plans. And what is God's plan? God's plan is that a king will reign in righteousness. And when God proclaims that, he's drawing attention to the profile that he has been building up in this prophecy of his own special king. In Isaiah 7, he is coming into the world as the one who is God with us, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. She will call his name Emmanuel. 
He builds up the picture in, in chapter 9. And to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. In chapter 11 he is the king who is going to come from the house of David. And now we come into this chapter and, and he tells us the kind of king this king is going to be. And especially the kind of government that he is going to establish in the world. And the kind of government that he is going to establish is one in which he will reign in righteousness. In other words, he's going to do exactly what the kings in Israel were not doing. They were not doing the things that God wanted them to do. They weren't righteous. Here is what God is saying. Here is his model for kingship in Israel. They are not carrying out that model. They are not putting that model into place. They are going down their own paths and having their own form of kingship. And here God's plans seem to be up in the air. Because the more they are dependent on human kings, the more they are not going to come to pass. And because of that, God is proclaiming that his king, that his son, is going to come and he's going to be righteous and he's going to reign in righteousness. And when we think of, of him reigning in righteousness and we think of God's plan for the world, Isaiah makes it clear that righteousness is very close to salvation. In fact, in chapter 51 and verse 5, he says, says that my righteousness is near, my salvation is about to come forth. So I look at God's king and he's coming to govern the world. And he's going to do that in accordance with God's plans. And I see that God's plans are the salvation of the world. And I see this king is going to do exactly what God wants him to do in reigning in the world. And as I look forward into, into 2017, that's the kind of government I'm looking for. That's the kind of king I want in my life. The king who is God's king, who is doing God's will, who is faithful to God in the first place. That's the priority. He is faithful to God. And in his faithfulness to God, he is bringing about salvation. He is bringing about right relationships. He is bringing about righteousness. Not only will he himself be faithful to God, but he is going to implement a government that will make people faithful to God as well. And is that not what's at the very desire of our hearts tonight? That that's the kind of world we want to live in. Where God's king is righteous and where he makes people like ourselves righteous as well. And in his plans and in his government, the princess will rule in justice. Everything that he purposes to do, it's going to be put in place. The whole of his government, the king and its princes, they are going to implement God's plans. They are going to put God's plans into the world to change the world. And they will rule in justice. And in moving on, I want us simply to see that justice in the Bible means this. It means that I have rights in my relationship with you. You have rights in your relationship with me. God-given rights. 
God has a right over me in my relationship with him. And I have a right that he has given to me in my relationship with God. Justice is about everyone having their own rights in their proper relationships. And here is the absolute marvel of this government. That this king is going to come into this world. And he's going to make sure that you and I have a proper God-honoring relationship with each other. And he's going to ensure that we have a proper God-given relationship with God. He's going to establish order and justice. And this plan is about changing the world back to what it was like when he made it before we spoiled it. What a plan. Tonight, if, if, if I have a hope for this world... And if I am looking forward with with the kind of spectacles that the word of God gives to me, I want Jesus to reign as king in the world. I want Jesus to reign as king in my world. And I want him to do that so that I will love the Lord my God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, and with all of my mind, and also so that I will love my neighbor as myself. That's a master plan. How different the world will be when Jesus does this. The chaos will be gone. The evil will be gone. Everything will be peace and righteousness. And so, what am I looking for in 2017? I am looking at God's plan for the world. And God's plan for the world That includes myself in this righteousness and justice and salvation. Secondly, and if I'm doing that, I'm also looking at God's program. How is he achieving this? How is he going to do it? And and when I think of God's program and I look at my own calendar for this year, I begin to look at God's calendar. Because in his program, I see in his calendar that he has three key days, key events in his program to ensure that this world is the way that he wants it to be. And if I'm going forward into 2017, I really do want to have his days imprinted in my mind and firmly fixed in my heart. And the first of these days that God is going to do as the one who intervenes in my world, he's going to Send his son into the world. Each will be like a hiding place. Or a man will be like a hiding place. And that's the, the first marvel that, that, that God shows and does in, in the experience of my world that he sends forth his son, born of a woman, made under the law. Where, where do I find him? I find him in in Bethlehem's manger. And the Lord of glory has come to to inhabit my world in all of its sorrows and in all of its griefs and all of his lowliness. He has come down. He has emptied himself. He is the rich one who has become poor. What an event. If I am going to understand God's plans at all to transform my world and this world I must begin in the manger at Bethlehem where God is with us, where Emmanuel is in my world. And I follow his story as as somebody who who marks this day 
I follow a story and I see him like myself and like those around him. And my Bible tells me that he was tested like you and I are. My Bible tells me that he went through so many things that you and I go through. And my Bible tells me that he did all of that so that he would be sympathetic. So that he could have compassion. So that he would understand you. What a a day in the experience of of the Son of God. And what a day that's worthy to, to be marked. To synchronize my life. My diary, my calendar, my whole experience to synchronize it with the day that God came down and was born in Bethlehem to Joseph and to Mary. I remember, I will never forget that great moment in God's calendar. And the second significant event in which God works in the world is I find when I follow this child from the manger to Golgotha, from Bethlehem to Calvary. And, and I say to myself, once all of us readers, to come to that place where in chapter 52 to chapter 53, they want to see that this king is a suffering king. And this king is going to be crucified. And he's going to suffer for the sins of the world. And that's the picture that, that we have in that whole chapter. He is going to make his soul an offering for sin. And when I come to, to Calvary's cross and, and the awful uh, horribleness of the suffering of Jesus of Nazareth, God reminds me in that portrait in chapter 53 that it was the will of God to bruise him. To bring him to grief. And that he laid my sins upon him. That he was wounded for my transgressions. That he was bruised for my iniquities. And that there he died for my sins. And here, is, here I am in, in this world and, and in my world. And my relationship with God is upside down. My relationship with God is all wrong. And the chaos of my life is because there is something wrong between me and God. And when I come to this day in God's calendar, I read Paul's great words in in writing to Corinthians in the second epistle in chapter 5. And I read these fascinating words that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And that he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that I might become the righteousness of God, God's plan. This is the king's work. And here he is, the king is the servant. The king is the suffering servant. The The king is the one who lays down his life for his people. He is the one who bore my sins in his own body to the tree. What am I looking for? I'm looking at God's calendar and that the center of gravity of of all that God is doing brings me to this important moment in the life of Jesus because it is the defining moment in all that God is going to do in changing the world. 
and I go forward into, into 2017 and, and I'm looking for the love of God to fill my heart. I'm looking for uh, what John says in the first, first epistle. I'm looking to be able to, to get caught up in what Jesus has done and to be able to say that I love him because he first loved me. That I'm able to say that for me to live is Christ. That I'm able to say that his love has won my heart. And I don't want to go any further tonight into this new year until I'm sure that my heart has embraced this glorious moment and embraced this great king servant and the work that he has done in my place at Calvary's cross. Because if I see and recognize that, I see that in the horribleness of his suffering, there is none as beautiful as him. He is altogether lovely. He is the most attractive person because of his love and because of his suffering and because of his readiness to, to go to death for me. And, and already this, this great day is, is engraved in my mind. And tonight the gospel wants to, to ensure that you have the same. That this day is so written in your thinking that you will never forget it. That it will control every moment of your experience. And that you will rejoice in God's great love. Day number two. And there is, of course, finally another day. And it's the last day. It's when this Jesus of Nazareth, the king who suffered and who went to glory, it's when he returns to judge the world. And we can read chapter 63 of, of, this, of this prophecy. We can read the final chapters in the book of Revelation we can see that this king is going to return and in that gruesome picture in chapter 63 he's going to come with vengeance and he's going to come to crush his enemies and he's going to come to save his people and on that great day in chapter 25 I read that when the people of God will see him they will say this is our God he has come to save us. Let us rejoice in him. He's going to stand on the last day on the earth. And part of humankind is going to flee and try and hide away in the, in the rocks and under the mountains. Because of the glory of his judging power. And there will be the people of God. And they will rejoice at the glory of his coming. And they will, they will welcome him. They, in the words of Isaiah in chapter 33, they will see the king in his beauty. Isn't he lovely? That great encounter that stands ahead in the, in the journey of the people of God. When the Son of God will return and stand on the earth and judge you if you go without Christ and bring you home you are one of his I'm looking at God's program 
Tonight, friends, as we go forward, we cannot afford to spend another moment of life living in this world without grasping and embracing these three moments in God's program of changing this world and putting his plans in place. Never forget that the Son of God was born in the manger. Never forget that on Calvary's cross, truly this was the Son of God. Never forget that the Son of Man will return and stand on the last day on the earth in all of his glory and with the clouds and with the angels surrounding him as he comes to save his people. And thirdly, if I'm going into 2017 looking for God's program, looking for his government, looking for his plans to be put in place, I'm looking to God's promises. I cannot live my life in this world without the promises of God. And we have promises in the second verse that speaks to us of that great day in the future and that speaks to us of our journey from now until then. And with regard to that great day in the future, I hear God saying that a man, each a man, will be like a hiding place from the wind and a shelter from the storm. Hiding place from the wind. In the Hebrew, the same word is used for wind, for breath, and for spirit. And here, there is to be a hiding place from the wind. And the Spirit of God brings life, but is also sent into the world to execute God's commands and also to come in judgment. And when, when I read chapter 40, where people are mourning and where people are being, suffering from loss, and, and the voice says, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. Humankind is like the grass. The wind blows, the grass withers, and the flower fades. All flesh is grass. The grass withers because the Spirit of the Lord blows upon it. It's appointed for man once to die. And I don't know tonight if that will be this year, and nor do you. But I do know that it will come that death will come with all of its pain at some point in my life because it is appointed for man once to die. I cannot avoid it. And it brings its pain to all those around. But tonight, if my trust is in the Lord Jesus, when the wind of death comes. He is like a hiding place. 
And one thing about a hiding place is that if it's a real hiding place, the person that's pursuing me is never going to find me. I'm going to be somewhere where the person pursuing cannot touch me. And I, I go forward into, into this new year and there is this great last enemy of death that is waiting at somewhere on my path to, to come for me and take me out of this world. And here tonight, if my trust is in Jesus, he is my hiding place. Death is not going to find me. Of course I'm going to die. But when death comes for me, there is that great proclamation, O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, grave, where is your victory? See, Jesus has, has destroyed the one who has the power of death. That's the devil. He has raised with, he's been raised with power over death and over the grave. He is the living one. And in the mystery and the intimacy of my relationship with Jesus, I am in him. And when death comes, it cannot find me. I'm nowhere to be seen because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And I face that inevitable departure from time into eternity. And death speaks to me of, of victory and of, of taking on immortality and power and being raised up in God's power, hidden in Christ. My life says Paul in Colossians, is hid with Christ and God. As we go forward, friends, we need to know that we have the friendship of Jesus, that we have a saving relationship of faith with him, because when death comes, it makes our death so different. It makes our death a day of triumph, and that day of victory. And the day of our death will be better than the day of our birth. A hiding place from the wind. And at the same time, in my future, there is this great storm. The storm of the wrath of God. The storm that comes because of, of the power of God that is going to be unleashed in the world when he comes to, to find all those who are his enemies, all those who are not his people. He, he is going to come with his powerful voice to, to summon the dead, to summon all the peoples in the world, and to call them all into judgment. And we see something of that in chapter 30, the way in which his furious anger and and his wrath is like a, a flame that is a devouring fire. It's going to come. And it's justice requiring judgment. And the penalty for sin is death. And, and here is the great judge coming into the world. And no wonder. Isaiah says in chapter 33. The sinners in Zion are afraid. And uh, Jesus reminded his people of this. And down through the New Testament we see that Paul is saying, 
that he knows the terror of the Lord. Therefore we persuade men. And we read in Revelation that the throne of God descends from heaven. And that, that the judgment of the world begins. And that the books are opened. And everyone receives according to what they have done. Everything. Every detail, every thought, every action, every wrong desire. Judged in accordance with what they have done. And tonight for the person who, who trusts in the Lord Jesus. When that storm comes, he will be a shelter. He will be like a canopy. As we read in Psalm 91. Dwelling in the secret place of the Most High under the shadow of the Almighty. And the shelter is such that it protects the person who is being sheltered from the might of the storm. And if a shelter is worth anything, it will stand in the storm so that the person being sheltered is safe. And tonight I can go forward into, into the unknown of that great day of judgment with my faith in the Lord Jesus. And when the sword of God's justice goes out into the world to condemn the guilty and searching for those who are guilty, I find myself uh, all around me. I see is, is, is the Lord Jesus in all of his glory. And the sword of justice cannot touch me. It touched him on my behalf. He absorbed all of the wrath of God when he died for my sins. And now... And then there is no condemnation. Tonight, friends, we, we can go forward into the events of that great day with great confidence that our trust is in Jesus. Death, it's a welcome stepping stone into the highest joy, judgment. You shall not come into judgment, says Jesus in John 5. It's already over. And I hear nothing but a welcome. And surely, as we go into the unknown, we want to arrive in that day and to hear the welcoming words of Jesus. Come, blessed of my Father, as he says to God on, on, on the throne, Behold me. And the children whom God has given to me. What security to go forward to that definite end to our journey in the world. But there is a journey. And on the journey I need his protection. I need his promises. And the verse closes as we close with these words like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Like streams of water in a dry place. The world is an ungodly world. The world is spoilt by sin. My relationship with God is still affected by sin and all of these different ways in which sin affects the world makes it a place 
that I'm often more aware of my hunger for God than my satisfaction in him. And in the last psalm that we're going to sing, that's what we read in that psalm, Psalm 63. My flesh longs in a dry parched land where there is no water. And I I go back to Jesus on the cross and, and here he is himself crying out, having been forsaken by God, I thirst. His tongue was cleaving to the roof of his mouth. Why? Because in these moments there was the experience of being without God, of being apart from God, of being separate from God. My journey through a world that is dry, that is godless, and where in in my relationship with God uh, to sustain me and to give me energy as I go on, I need something that connects my life in this dry world with where Jesus is. There is streams of water. Psalm 46, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And the picture here is, is, is one of, of, of a river with canals and, and, and tributaries and so many things flowing out of this river. <coughs> Wherever people are, that it waters them. And in all that I will face in the temptations of this world and all of the different ways in which Satan and the enemies of Christ in my world will seek to rob me of of all that God has given to me. Nothing can separate me from him. There is that which flows from him. There is that river of living water. Whoever is thirsty, he says in John 7, let him come to me and drink. Because out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so I go forward into this year and I've got the promise of the abiding presence of the life of Jesus in my heart and my soul. And of the life and the refreshing power that only he can give to me. Connected with him in that unbreakable flow of life and of power. With you is the the fountain of life. And from that fountain flows the river of God. And it's with me here tonight. And it's with me wherever I go tomorrow. And wherever I go on the rest of this year. It's with the people of God. Nothing can separate you from him. His life is in you forever. No matter where you go. And he is the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Do you ever feel weary? Do you ever feel ready to faint? Do you ever feel that you cannot go any further? That's the picture here. There is a high temperature. There is the sun blazing. There is the wind driving. There is complete exposure to all of the forces of nature beating down on this individual in this dry parched land. And what's the greatest need? 
that there will be a shade. That something will come along between me and the light and will cast its shadow over me. What a relief that I can find rest from this blazing sun. And if we holiday abroad, we, we, we know that we're advised not to go into the sun at the height of noon. It's dangerous for us to do that. We have to be in the shade. And to welcome the shade is then. And this is what Jesus does for me. In the afflictions, the bread of adversity and the afflictions that Isaiah speaks of in chapter 30, they are the furnace, the trials of life, the pains, the afflictions, the illnesses, the different ways in which my life sometimes is crushed, the different ways in which sometimes my heart is crushed. And I'm crying out to God and I'm saying, this is too much for me. It's as if my, my whole experience and life with God is, is just being drained away by the force of everything that has overtaken me. And then, suddenly, there is the relief of His presence where He, where he puts His arms around me and where He gives me shade and shelter from the high temperature, from the wind, from the sun, and gives me relief. And there I discover the warmth of his love and the, the refreshing, cooling way in which he comes and makes this moment of high temperature one that is controlled by him and from which I receive great benefit who knows what the year has for us we will have our afflictions in some way we will have our pains in some way we may have our illnesses in different ways but what a promise to lay hold of the presence of Jesus and to know that he will refresh us at every step of the way and to know that Every moment will be a moment when he will guard us and keep us and will never allow us to be tested beyond what we can bear. That he will overshadow us with his tent. And when we thought that our life was drained away at last, our faith was beginning to be burnt up in the heat, it regains new strength. That weight upon the Lord will renew the strength. And we rise up from the shadow of the rock like the great eagle that soars into the heights. And so we go forward to that great day until we meet with him at last. So let's go forward into the year. Let's remember what God's plans are. Let's be sure that we become more and more familiar with his program and having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus and let's be comforted by his promises because lo he is with us always even to the very end may God grant that it will be so and may he bless his word to us let us pray almighty God we rejoice in you as our great father in heaven as our great saviour 
as the one who has worked in so many miraculous, wonderful ways to make known what your purposes are and to make known your interest in us and your love for us. And we pray tonight that we may firmly put our trust in you, lean upon you with all of our hearts and go forward into this year as those who trust in your promises, who recognise firmly what you are purposed to do and who go forward from this moment until the moment that we meet with you in that great day of your return to go forward trusting in you and enjoying the victory that you have secured for your people and having joy in you as we live our lives in the world from day to day. Bless your word to us, we pray, to that end, and accept us and our mercy, for Jesus' sake. Amen. The closing psalm is that psalm, Psalm 63, and at the beginning of the psalm, Psalm 63 and at verse 1, and we'll sing down to the end of the verse marked 5, I think. Lord, thee, my God, I'll early seek, my soul to thirst for thee, my flesh longs in a dry parched land, wherein no waters be. From verse 1 to the verse marked 5, to God's praise. Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.